Hello and welcome to Learning from Legends with me, Peter Switzer. And uh, today I've got a very special guest. His name is Alan Mason. He's recently put out a book and the book's title says it all, Tax Secrets of the Rich by Kerry Packer's former accountant. Yes, his name is Alan Mason. And he joins us on Learning from Legends right now. Alan, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for having me. Alan, you know, I think a lot of people have, have always been... Uh, highly entertained and interested in the the antics of Kerry Packer and I say that in a respectful way uh, as well as the history as well as some of the legendary stories around it and I think uh, people would be very keen to understand what was your relationship with him and I guess as an accountant um, you know a lot of the lessons you might be now talking about in your book will come from actually even learning on the job at the coalface when you as a uh, an accountant to your client had to think outside the square things that you weren't taught at university and I have lectured at university I know we don't always teach what people need to understand was this your experience that in many ways you grew as an accountant having to answer the questions that Kerry Packer put to you exactly and Kerry had a, an opinion about tax and I think that's gone down in history almost. He's um, a number of things he said that have become legends. I'm not donating a cent more than I have to because you don't spend my money too wisely. And all those kind of things have made Kerry a legend to the average business owner. Um, Kerry was a great person to work for and Consolidated Press was a great company to work for. And we're talking a different era. We're talking an era in the 90s when... Um, you know, companies and businesses were aggressive to the tax office and the tax office were aggressive to clients and in business. So if they wanted to get at you and if they thought you were doing anything um, illegal or, or even sideways in any way, they just issue an assessment of $2 million and say, well, Pete, fight me in court and for the next five years, you will never get a, a loan from the bank, you'll never get anything because you've got a tax debt. So tax office can be more aggressive. Today, they're not as bad. Not as bad today. Yeah. What's interesting, mate, is that um, you know, as a, a former lecturer in economics at University of New South Wales, I I worked with John Hewson. In fact, John Hewson, who was, was my head of school at the time, head of department, he, he actually hired me. Um, but along the way, he actually made the point that probably when you started off as an accountant, the, the tax act was really thin. But by the time I interviewed him later on on TV, he said, in fact, when he did the, um, the fight back program, he said, the tax act is about a metre high to put it all together. So you would have seen that enormous change over time. Exactly. And can I tell you, even the tax office themselves do not get it right. We've had many, many situations where tax office will come back in a particular way and we'll say, no, hang on, that's not right. Um, you know, you've forgotten this or you've forgotten that. And I go, oh, oh okay. <laughs> I mean, the <laughs> books behind me are just a, a glimpse. If you were to to stack all of the Tax Act regulations, rulings, they would be from the floor to the ceiling, over 100,000 pages. So, you know, you can't kind of forgive them for not knowing it all. It, yeah. It's a difficult area. It certainly also shows you the kind of job that an accountant has to do, particularly when the client becomes increasingly complex. And Kerry Packer, over time, and his business, ACP and, and Nine, they all became increasingly complex, didn't they? They do. And look, we've got many clients exactly the same way. I've got one client that's got somewhere like 35 entities in his group. 
Um, Alan Bond, for instance, Alan Bond was an accountant's pleasure. You know, he had 248 trusts, 248 Alan Bond. And he, I know he went broke and went jail and that sort of stuff, but, but like accountants love people like that. But, but can I tell you, there's a benefit in it. Many, many times you look at it and you go, I need to put this in this different structure. I need to put this over here. I've got CGT issues, so I can't buy a property in a company. I've got to buy it in a trust. Um, or, you know, we need to have a flow through a cascade from one trust to the other trust to soak up losses. So, yes, it's complex. But I think what accountants have got to do is be, not, is be proactive. Kerry said to me when he employed me, and I, I always laugh at this, he said, son, you've got to do it. I don't want to pay you. But it makes you think and it makes you go, oh, maybe I can come up with a solution. Maybe I can be worth my, my fees, <laughs> my charges. And many, many times that's been the case. Many times I've been able to pull a rabbit out of the hat, be able to think a little bit outside the square. And Kerry was a bit like that. He'd sort of go, you sure? You sure? We back you? We're going to back you? Are you 100% sure this is going to work? Yes, yes, we'll do it. We'll back you. Kerry was a great delegator. So he'd be off overseas, of course, but he'd have a great team. Everyone had to do their job. And when you were employed by Kerry, it would be like six months trial, at the end of six months, out. Or double your pay. Mm. And that's how he worked. And he had great people around him, paid people very high. And I, I was on great salary. I had, and this is days before fringe benefit tax. I had an E-type JAG I brought in from um, the UK. And that was restored through the company as part of my package. And I was like, this is before fringe benefit tax, of course. Yeah. Um, those and, were the days. Mate. Those, those were the days. days. I know. And, you know, because I had a press had a lot of cars too. They were all very car-minded. Kerry had a twin turbo XJS, big green monster. And when you see it come in the car park, you go, oh, God. You know, a monster. <laughs> it's funny you remind me, yeah, and... Yeah, you know, of course, there's some tough stories of Kerry Packer as well, but I do recall a good mate of mine who you probably might have come across, Michael Schilberger. And I know uh, Michael said to me that um, he, he used to host current affairs in those days. He said that, uh, you know, he, he was thinking about leaving Nine and, and Kerry said to him, well, you know, what can I do to make you stay? And he said, oh, well, I, I need a home in Melbourne. I've got a young family. He said, he said so Kerry bought me a house. He said, I was really sorry I didn't go for a more expensive house. <laughs> but so working for Kerry Packer, Packer, I want to ask you that question, what was it like on a day-to-day -day basis? But the first question I, have, I want to shoot to you is, how did you get the job? Well, it might sound a bit odd, but I just applied, applied for the job. They were looking for somebody. Uh, I had come back from overseas and um, I just went for interviews and applied for the job. And I think part of my experience at that time was in printing and publishing. And we needed, they needed a lot of help over at Offset Alpine because they just acquired Offset Alpine at that stage, paid 268000 for it. And um, it needed its job costing and things sorted out. And I'd spent a lot of my career with NCR. Um, what well, wasn't National Cash Register, was, but that's where it came from originally. And um, so I had the relevant experience and I, he needed me to go over to Offset and get a, into profit and help the MD out there uh, to, to get the job costing right, uh, get the systems correct. And I spent over three, four months at Offset sorting that out. So, so that was one of my first jobs. Hmm. Was it intimidating as a young man 
you know, having to work with Karen? I never thought about it, to be honest. It, 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 it was just for me, and I've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs and high net worth people. Um, I never really thought about it. It was just a job and it was just part of the team. And, you know, we're all a team. We all had to do things to, to um, accounting and whatever else to make the companies work and increase their profitability, watch what was happening. Um, and, and I had come from that environment where I'd, we'd been involved with public companies and um, I, I really didn't see it as an issue. I, I used to love the cars. You know, I remember Ron over at Offset had beautiful Porsche <laughs> and the yeah. uh, Toronto, um, uh, 5,000, SLR 5,000 and all those kind of things. And everyone loved cars. So it's kind of, I loved it. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. And yeah. played at night with barristers and, and all those kind of things. It was, it, was, it was a fun time. Okay. Now let, let's go through, I know in the book you, you make reference to some of the, the, the ventures, the business ventures that, um, you know, Kerry was involved in, like, for example, you know, um, the one-day cricket experiment. Now, were they profitable in the early days or were they grossly unprofitable but good for the Channel 9 brand and customer accumulation? Oh, like we were hemorrhaging and, and all the accountants and that were like, uh, what are we going to do here? This thing's losing a, a million dollars a month. You know, 60 minutes, like when it came on originally and Jordan, George and Eagles flying around the world, we were losing a million dollars a month on, on it. World Series cricket, we spent so much money on paying all the stars, uh, promotion. I mean, it does help when you own a television station to promote these things. Mm. And I can tell you, we, the amount of airtime we pushed through on Channel 9 for World Series cricket, um, you couldn't do that if you were just, if you didn't own a television station. We, we just pushed it like crazy. And I know all the accounting side, we were just going, this is Kerry, Kerry's... Um, passion this is his gut feeling is going to work and we were kind of worried i mean he had plenty of money so it didn't matter like yeah. we weren't going to be affected financially but it was a it was a worry when you're hemorrhaging like a lot of money and, um, and, and, I, and he wasn't listed then was he so he he didn't have the, the public uh, eye of, on the books exactly exactly and and because press was listed then privatized and listed it went through a couple of reiterations in those in that time, and in, in most most of those periods when that was in and out of, of listing, Kerry seemed to make a little bit of money out of it somehow. He just seemed to know how to how to, how to make that yeah. work. <laughs> Were you there when Alan Bond came along and made that offer? It, it was just a little bit after I'd left. Um, Were you staggered at the price he was willing to pay? Because you would have known the real value of the company. Unbelievable. A, you know, a billion dollars to pay a billion dollars, 600 mil up front, and then foreclose on the last 400 and have it back. I mean, I, I often use that example when I'm dealing with clients on maybe we should sell this and we'll leave a little bit on the table. And if they don't pay it, we need to put a Kerry Packer clause in there. Yeah. <laughs> That's my expression. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it is actually a significant business story that a lot of people have to be mindful of. Yes. Yeah. So, so what were the, the, the big lessons that you learned from there that you've now taken into, you know, the, the practice that you've got now? The, the main, main carry through, I suppose, or the main thing that stayed with me all of the time 
that I've been in practice is that to be worth what you're paid, to be a, a value to your clients. Well, some people see accountants as a form filler, someone filling in a tax return, a lodging with the tax office or completing a BAS. You've got to be more than that. Yes, we do all of those things. That all, that The team work on, on that all the time. But sometimes you've got to step back. Sometimes you've got to go, hang on, maybe I can reshuffle this. Maybe I can put more wages or put an extra entry through a trust or, or set up an asset protection or, or some other types of entities which are available to us today. So but the main takeaway with work and carry was to be worth double what you paid. Mm. So the main takeaway is to provide service, to be a real person, to not just be uh, an employee of the tax office. And I, and I can tell you there are so many myths out there. I hear it all the time. I go, the more money I make, the more tax I pay. Not true. I'm paying tax, therefore I must be making money. Not true. Mm. They are myths. And I can tell you a hundred examples. Well, well, in fact, there's, there's quite a few in here mm. that dispel that myth. And working with Kerry, it was always a case of, well, find a solution. Mm. I had a client, and I mentioned it in, in my book, a case study on that. I had a client had a $3 million profit in about March of the financial year. And he said, well, I don't have to pay, so $3 million profit, I don't have to pay a million dollars tax. I go, well, like three million dollars. I mean, it's sitting in the bank. I mean, what are we going to do with three million dollars in the bank? Mm. Um, and I looked at it and looked at it. He paid about two hundred and sixty grand tax, and it took me three months to come up with a solution. And we did. And I actually mentioned it in the book. And these things are there if you can think outside the square. Yeah, I mean, Alan. I, I know in my time, you know, we we have a fairly significant business, and we've had uh, accountants uh, work for us. And sometimes they, they seem like they're, they're employees of the tax office rather than employees of the taxpayer. Is there a level of intimidation that the tax office, in a sense, has imposed on accountants that don't have the experience to understand the, the nuances that are legal, but still they're just interpreting the law really literally and not thinking through the way a, a business owner or an entrepreneur might think. Exactly. And I, and I suppose working with entrepreneurs, it's made me think outside the square because the main difference between an entrepreneur and a small business owner or, or someone that's even employed is that they don't accept the status quo. Hmm. A, a business owner will go, okay, there's the problem, find me a solution. And that was Kerry. A lot of business owners and there's a few high net worth people look after now it's like they do not accept that there's, there's there's not a solution and i think the difference is that you need to be as an accountant you need to be experienced you also need to have a bit of personality and be able to think outside the square and be able to deal with because entrepreneurs sometimes have a little bit of a different mentality and they can be very very creative and really hopeless at all their accounting stuff and you know, you need to deal with that creativity, the um, not looking after and dotting their T's, crossing their I's, because that's what we do and we have to do. In terms of tax office intimidation, yes, there is a bit of that. Um, every day you see situations where tax agents or, or um, the tax office have taken action against clients. You need to be able to stand up to it. You need to be able to stand up to the tax office and say, well, either they're right or they're wrong 
or you need to go, well, okay, if you're right, but we need to deal with this client's not any money. And I, I've stood up in court many times and had a massive blast against the tax office because I'll give you one example. We had a client that um, they owed about a million dollars in tax, but the client had gone, um, the company had gone to liquidation and they were trying to issue what's called director penalty notices. And, and the client came back to me and said, look, we can raise about 400,000. If the tax office will accept that as full and complete um, payment of the debt, they will pay that and they'll clear it off, 400,000 against the milk. And I went back to the tax office and I know the officer, I won't mention her name, but anyway, that's AGS, Australian Government Assistant. And um, I said, look, here's all the asset liability statements. Here's the full picture. They've got some family, they don't really want the company to go into liquidation and go through that barrier. Would you take 400,000 as full complete settlement of the debt? And I said, no. And I said, well, if you say no, you get nothing. You get zero because look, here's all the situation. When we win, then I knew what it was and made a full disclosure. They accepted nothing. But my point is the government consolidated revenue missed out on that money. They could have got that money, yet they, they chose to go down a path and get nothing. And that money could have been, you know, help hospitals, whatever. So on the one hand, you, you've got to deal with reducing tax, but on the other hand, you've got to be fair and reasonable. And, and you've got to be reactive to whatever the situation is. And, you know, we, the government missed out on 400 grand. Now, <laughs> you, know, you know, that's stupid. <laughs> now, is the big problem for, for people in business that they start worrying about their tax when they have to pay it rather than worrying about before they earn the income that is going to generate a potential big tax bill? I, I stress that so strongly. In my book, I, I say all the time, plan, plan, plan. If you've got a, a great year, like the example I said, the client had $3 million profit. It was in March, April of the financial year. So the year had not ended. We knew what the situation was. We could do something. If you leave it until September of the following of, of that year or maybe March of the year after, you're really behind the eight ball. It's really hard. There are things you can do sometimes, but sometimes not. So you've got to be proactive. You've got to know what you're doing. And let's face it, Peter, we've got on in our, we've got all the online systems in the world now. We've got our zeros, our QuickBooks Online, NYRB. We, we've got direct feeds from our bank account straight into our profit and loss. I can look on screen at all of our clients and see what their year-to-date figures are, how much profit they've made to date. And if there's an issue looming, if there's a tax bill looming, if it's a great year for the tax department, we need to rectify that. <laughs> So, you know, we need, you need to be proactive. So these days of leaving it till the last minute, leaving it till six months after year end, that's stupid. Okay. Let's <laughs> this, this deal with some of the, the issues in the book because, you know, the, the headline of the book is Tax Secrets. Well, what are the, the standout secrets that you uh, explain in the book? I, I don't want you to delve too deeply into it, but just give us a bit of a taste of sort of the, the classic problem that most successful people eventually can encounter but the rich along the way have learned how to dissipate the potential tax bill exactly exactly so um we need to make sure that no one from the tax office is listening so if you turn off all of <laughs> i'm sure they will because you, you are going to get a headline on, on my uh, website but go on oh, thanks so so um and mind you, there's about 80,000 people in the tax office, so who knows? <laughs> Half of them don't even know how to 
<laughs> how to do anything sometimes, but anyway. Um, look, the main secret is that be proactive, be on top of your affairs. And we play a tax game with tax rates. So you've got different structures. A company at the moment, 25 cents in the dollar, 26 cents in the dollar for next year. Individual up to 48 cents in the dollar. Uh, super fund, 15 15% tax or zero if in pension mode. So the, the secrets are to be able to restructure yourself in a way to be tax efficient. You also need to be proactive. So if you've made profit in a particular year, you need to do something before the year ends if you can. Be um, use, get advice. Do not think you know it all. Do not penny pitch on, in terms of that advice. Kerry always paid people higher salaries um, and every person I deal with, it's never about the money because most times we will be worth more than we're paid. If we're not, then get somebody else, <laughs> get someone who is worth more than they're paid. So one of the main secrets is that you, you, you need to get advice and you need to use the system. And um, even simple, simple thing like um, I talked before about the more money I make, the more tax I pay. But if I was to do something through my sole principal residence, my house that I live in, there's no tax on that. If I was to sell a business and get a 50% CGT discount and then get rollover benefit into super and all the different steps of follow, there's no tax on that. So it's not true that the more money you make, the more tax you pay. You just need to make sure that you structure it correctly. Yeah. Do you think a lot of business owners who actually haven't gone looking for the right advice, say after selling, after selling a, a business, and I, I know there are people who've sold businesses and haven't rolled their, their proceeds into their super because no one told them, they haven't paid for it. They've, they've done their own tax returns their whole life saving on money. Uh, and I've seen people sell their homes and not use the, the new provision where it, when you're retired and you, you're trading back, you can roll yeah, it. Yeah. I've come across before. Yeah. Do you think that is one of the, the big problems that people aren't prepared to pay for advice at those vital times either in their business or their, their tax-paying life. Exactly. And sometimes people are their own worst enemy. They think they know it all. And the biggest barrier to knowledge is thinking you know it and thinking, oh, I'll just Google that. But when you Google it, you're not, you're not really seeing it as it fits your circumstance. Tax is a complicated area. Mm. Tax has so many words and rules and, and, and expressions that the average person won't get it right because... They don't they think that oh, I says I'm going to get this concession, I'm going to get that concession, but maybe they haven't done the right thing. We had a, CG, uh, had a rollover for a super fund a couple, or about 18 months ago, and he came to us from another account and we said he hadn't done it correctly. He, he, was, he was going to be, if he, was get, if he was to get audited, and you know, he didn't stay with us because he didn't believe us that we were correct, uh, he would be up for $400,000 in extra tax because he didn't do the rollover into super correctly. So you need to get the right advice. Mm. And you're right, Peter, uh, there's all those concessions out there. Um, I've listed out a number of tax tips as they affect nearly every type of situation, rental properties, investors, shares. Um, for instance, sometimes you go, well, I've made a capital gain on shares, so let's sell off some of the shares so I've got losses on. So, that's, so you've got a capital gain in a particular year, 
And so we've got some unrealized losses. So we're going to sell those shares to offset those capital gains. No problem with that. But there are some wash rules. That's funny, I know. <laughs> Tax office has some funny rules. It's the wash rules that can affect that. So you need to be careful. You need to be careful of intention. What was, was the profit-making intention or was it to reduce tax? You need to be careful of that. Um, so you don't want to get tripped up. You don't mm. want some little tax office auditor coming in and saying, hang on, you didn't do this, we didn't do that correctly. Therefore, we're going to slug you with an extra couple hundred thousand in tax. Alan, yeah, the right advice. <laughs> yeah. And on that subject of advice, a lot of the, the rich people I know have trusts. And a lot of people are kind of suspicious of trusts and governments have tried to, and governments have made them less lucrative than they are, but are trusts still a valuable tax product to use for people who are earning lots of income in business in particular? Trusts allow you more flexibility. So a trust is a flow through entity. So whatever the profit that's made in a trust must flow through and out to the beneficiaries. So you've got to be careful. Uh, in some cases, people come to us and they say, oh, we, we heard that we can set up a trust and therefore we won't pay any tax. The problem is the profit has to flow out to the beneficiaries. And if you do not have beneficiaries that um, are in a low tax bracket, that can be difficult. You've got some Division 7A issues, which is uh, deemed, deemed dividends or loans. Uh, so you've got to be careful of that. But uh, having said that, trusts are a vehicle that can be used. For instance, if you've got an entity that's got losses, you can drop that entity underneath the trust so that now you can distribute the profit down to that entity that's got the losses. There are some family tax provisions. There are some rules to make it work. Um, I mentioned earlier about cascading. So cascading is like a champagne glass. You fill it up with water and it goes into the next one, the next one, the next one. Champagne, I should say. Um, so you can set up a, a number of trusts if you've got an entity that's losing, an entity that's making profit, you've got a CGT over here, you can flow through the, the, the CGT down to those different entities. So it has to suit you, it has to work for you, and there has to be a benefit to, to doing that. I, I mentioned earlier about Alan Bond having 248 trusts. I mean, I love it. 248 trusts, you can imagine. Um, but all those trusts have reasons. And Alan Bond made his profit within his entities. So when he went bankrupt, it didn't matter because all of the trusts and all of the entities, they were the ones that held the assets. And Alan Bond's family are still in rich, uh, BRW Rich 100, yet mm -hmm. Alan Bond himself went broke. Yeah. So trusts allow you to sometimes separate assets, asset protection if you get sued. Um, there's a few other issues that make them a, quite a good vehicle, but don't forget companies are, are, are a good vehicle as well. Okay, before we finish up, mate, uh, and we, we, we will tell people how to get access to the book as well, but this question was put to me recently, and clearly you know more than I do uh, on, when it comes to tax. So you've got a business, right? And this business is, say, in real estate. But the owner of the business, you know, also is a pretty heavy investor in the stock market. Right, uh, and is using comp the, the company's funds to, to buy shares, so effectively they're owned by the company. He's got losses on those shares. Um, can those losses be used to offset the profits in his business? So we've had that many times. It, there, there's a provision in the Act, and in fact, I covered in my book, there's a section about share investors. 
about am I carrying on a business as a share investor or am I doing it from a, a, um, a capital point of view? So am I buying and selling shares to receive the income from the, from the dividends or am I buying and selling shares as a business? So am I carrying on the business of share trading or am I an investor? Yeah. And if you're an investor, you cannot offset the losses against trading income. If you are carrying on the business of a share trader, then those losses will be able to offset against your trading income. Mm -hmm. So that's very important. And you might need to look at, and, and there are about six or seven um, criteria that mm -hmm. will affect that, that carry forward and that ability to offset. Mm -hmm. You might need to look at those and make sure you qualify and meet those criteria. Um, I actually list them out in the book yeah. because this comes up a lot. And there are some big advantages in being a share investor because you're not paying tax until you sell. But if you've got unrealized gains and you are a share trader, you would then take those unrealized gains up as trading income, like you would if you're buying and selling motor vehicles. Yeah. So the interesting point the person made to me was, well, if as a real estate agent, I put my profits into a bank account and there was I was getting savings, that income would be added to my business income and I would pay tax. So the flip side was, well, if I'm not if I'm not making income on my saving in stocks rather than saving the bank account, why and it's a, and it's a good question. So it's a pretty, pretty fair question to ask. I know. And the tax office deals with revenue and capital. So revenue means like on profit and loss, and capital means as in on balance sheet. Mm -hmm. And um, so when I talk about the, the share investor versus the share trader, mm. is he on balance sheet or is he on PL? And sometimes you might need to think about how to be one or the other yeah. and what would be the benefit in being an investor versus a, a, a trader yeah. and, and maybe adjust your affairs in such a way to meet the criteria that you need to meet to, to satisfy the, the Tax Act and the provisions. And there's a number of them. Uh, I, I had a large one I had to sort out one time where, and this was before franking credits became um, refundable. Uh, there was a time where franking credits could not, would not be refundable uh, back when Keating first brought it in. And, and, and this was a share trader. So we were able to adjust this closing stock. So shares on hand, a closing stock. A closing stock under, I think it's 59, it's 59 allows you to um, value at cost, net realizable or market value, any item of stock in that way. So think of a car yard, you've got a hundred cars, you could value every car differently. Think of a hundred stocks in your share portfolio, you could value every share differently. And I needed to get to a $3 million profit to offset the, the tax franking credit. So I had to really do an Excel trying to play with the, the, the way that would work to get back the it's about a million dollars in franking credits that we would have lost. Yeah. Today you don't Alan, to... <laughs> I think you've underlined the value of an accountant who knows the tax act and thinks outside the square. Now just give us an idea if people want to access the book, what's the best way of doing it? Easiest way you can go to Amazon, Amazon.com, or you can go to our website, uh, broadviewpublishing.com.au. Um, download it. Did you say it was Broadview? Did you say? Yeah, yeah, B R O A D, Broadview. Yep. Okay, as in narrow view, broad, yep. narrow, whatever. Yep. Okay. Um, and look, we've got a few packages on there. I've written four books: um, Survival Success, Business, um, Bullseye, How to Choose an Accountant, <laughs> 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 How to Choose Encore Accounting, of course. That might the firm on my firm, Encore Accounting. 
and um, uh, download a copy. Plus, there's a bit of a few things on the website. If you want to go to Encore Accounting, that's our accounting site. I've got a lot of business tips in there. I've written a lot of material over my career, and I really want business owners to be successful. So go there and have a look. Like self-sabotaging, or uh, what happened with clutter, or procrastination. All these things that can hold you back in business. Great stuff. Alan, thanks for joining us in the program. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. And that was Alan Mason, the author of the book, Tax Secrets of the Rich by Kerry Packer's former accountant. His name is Alan Mason. Thanks for joining us for Learning from Legends. I'm Peter Switzer, of course. And if you want to know more about what we do, go to switzer.com.au. Thanks for joining me. Talk to you next week. Thank mm -hmm. you.